0: But I didn't realize until I got older how they applied to me in my life and how much uh, how much you can draw from these things that uh, make it applicable to your life where it truly changes the, what God has for you and, and gives you direction. And these crazy stories became actually where God spoke to me and said, you know, this can take place or stay away from this or whatever direction that he... he wanted me to see and it was all from um, his word and what he has and so as we go into his word let's just open our hearts and see what he has to say to us he's a good god he loves us and he really wants to speak to us all the time not just tonight but all the time dear god we thank you for your word sometimes it just doesn't uh align with our philosophies or our things, but that doesn't make it true by no means. It's always true, and it's always just. We are the ones that need to align our view into yours, God. We need to see what you want us to see, and we need to grow in those ways, God. And tonight, as we look at your word, as we look at Judges 4 tonight, God, I just ask that you... Again, soften our hearts and just let us be in tune with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that just um, wants to grab a hold of us, wants to teach us. We get bombarded by so many things throughout the day, and tonight we can just sit back, we can relax, we can open up to what you want to say to us, and God, you just uh, will indwell in us and develop us and grow us, God. I ask that you do this in grace and kindness as you always do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in Judges 4. So go ahead and turn to, to Judges 4. As you guys have been have heard over the past few messages and stuff like that, there's this cycle that uh, Judges puts out there, you know, where you f- um, fall into sin. And well, the ABC is actually was a new one to me, but I like that. You abandon A, and then you B fall into bondage. So you abandon God, B, you, you fall into bondage, C, you cry out, and then D, you get deliverance. And throughout this book of Judges, that's what we see the Israelites doing over and over and over again. And God puts us in there for us because He doesn't want, you know what? We don't have to fall through the cycle. And if you're like me, um, through my lifetime, I get caught up in this cycle way too often, almost like a wash machine, and I get tore you know spun out, tore up, and i i I don't know which way's up you know because I just keep falling back into sin or falling back or falling out of, of of God's will, and then I need to cry out and get the repentance and come back but god does God gives us these teachings and stuff so. We don't have to get caught up in that cycle. We can actually, actually, stay in the promised land, stay in that freedom area, and not come back through that big old cycle. And if we do get caught up in it, you know, not to stay in it so long. So that's what God wants to to do for us, but we just have to be willing to submit to Him and and um, fall into His grace. So Judges chapter four. Um, Verse 1, it says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead. So, again, like I said, again, the Israelites did what what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And you look at that and you think, what what is evil in the eyes of the Lord? Because what's evil to God a lot of times isn't evil to us. And especially from the world's perspective that we get bombarded with, that we have in our life all the time, um, we we will not know truly what evil is if we're looking at through it at the world's perspective. God um, God's view of evil is completely different than our view of evil. It's like You have the world, and if it's in front of you like this, and God's behind the world, you're going to have an askew view of God, are you not? You're going to have a a very muted view of God because the world is taking place, is in front of God. And if we go by what the world calls evil and not by what God calls evil, we're going to have a whole askew view. We're not going to understand what God, God has for us there's a great story about uh Josiah where he became king as a young a young boy, and as he started taking leadership over israel he um, he they found a book they found the Bible buried in the temple and they had they hadn 't read the Bible for years and they hadn't had any um teachings on it and stuff like that and they pull it out and they they read it to Josiah and Josiah rips his clothes and he 's just like he's he's like oh my gosh when he heard god's word he's like we're so far off from what god wants us to do we and he called for repentance and he brought it out and he and he he, he uh, taught the bible to the people and the people again repented and came came back to god but for us that's how we get to uh, see god oh, i'm sorry <laughs> Let me get a drink. <laughs> that, was, that was disgusting, sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So um, that's how we get to see what is truly evil to God, is through God's word. If we just have the world's view, if we just take in media, um, listen to friends, listen to um, uh, neighbors, whatever it might be, Without God's word, our view of what's evil is going to be completely different compared to God, is it not? Because the world's view is so watered down, and it takes so many missteps and sidesteps of of what God says is is true or what God says is right, and because of that, Satan wants to keep us out of this word, no matter what is. He fights everything tooth and nail to keep us out of this word because he doesn't want us to understand God's view of sin. He doesn't want us to understand what's evil in God's eyes. He wants us just going on thinking, you know, I I haven't murdered anybody today. I haven't, you know, really done anything really that bad. So it's okay. You know, this guy next to me is, you know, doing way worse than I am. So it's okay. But then if we get, then we get into God's word And we see that perspective change. All of a sudden, we put God in front of the world, and then we see through God into the world, and it changes everything. Our view of, it's no longer muted. All of a sudden, we see evil for evil, and we see righteousness for righteousness, and the things that are good that God wants to do with us. So, that's the perspective that God wants to change in us. He wants us to, to be in his word, to see what is evil, and to, to make the right steps to what, what he has uh, for us. Just listening to the world, just listening to the things of, of the world, you know, the world has a whole different philosophy than God. Just listening to the things of the world um, will, will make us worship the world and not God. And... um a very empty empty prospect to, to worship the world, not, not um, edifying in any way. And it's a pit that we fall down and we end up going into that cycle when we, when we go that way. So the Israelites, again, as we saw, as they do, do over and over, did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And um, now that Ehud was dead. So what caused, what caused them this time to fall in this evil, um, t- uh, to you know, fall away from God. It says when Ehud was dead, and if you guys were here, when David Moo did a great job on uh, speaking on Ehud, the left-handed dude, he called it, and he he shared about this great leader that followed God to a T. You know, just did exactly what God wanted him to do and stuff. And as this leader freed them, the people. Uh, looked up to him and they as they should he was a great leader and they looked up to him but they looked up to him um, in an unhealthy way because when he died it was just like a kid you know when the parents always watching and stuff and then you're like oh I got to do good because you know the parents there and stuff like that it's really not a true change of heart but when he had died that's when they went back to their sin no longer, they're like, oh well, he had the the judge isn't here anymore. Like that, we can we have freedom. We can go, you know, we can go back and sin. We can go do what we were doing before, to their detriment, to uh, showing their true heart. wasn't wasn't where God you know they weren't in line with God where God wants, wanted it. We can do that so often and so easily. We get um, where we we 're going to church and we and we understand what God wants, and we um, fall in love with God, and we look to a leader because there 's that great example you know they 're showing god 's love they 're te- you know teaching it are uh, are doing it and stuff, and we like oh man that guy' is, that guy or that girl is just um what I want to be and, and you know and, and I want to strive towards that and that 's good and that 's a good example but that person should never take the place of God, Amen. and that's where Ehud. That's what happened with Ehud. That he took the place of God. The people were looking to Ehud as the person to follow after, as the purchase person of righteousness. But God is using that person. But he still, the focus should be on God, because if we put our eyes on the leader or uh, the person who God's using or whatever deliverance is, is coming, and we put our eyes on that person, we um, are gonna be disappointed. We're gonna be disappointed big time. Why? Because they're just like us. They're failures. They, they, they're sinful. They're, in, they're human. And they make mistakes. And because they make mistakes, they're gonna do things that are, offend you, things that are gonna be wrong, things that um, offend other people. And if you are looking to them for the answer and saying, Well, I'm going to church because, you know, hey, that guy's, you know, so great of a speaker, or I'm going to church because this lady's such a prayer warrior and I love praying with her and stuff like that. Again, okay things, but if you're going to church just for that reason, you're going to be disappointed greatly because God wants you to come to church to meet Him. And yeah, you're going to meet other Christians and other people that are on fire for God and in love with God. But you're going to also, um, you're going to meet the person that they're in love with. And that's the, and that's the person you want to keep your eyes on. Um, if, you, if you keep your eyes on them, again, you're going to be disappointed. Jesus is the only person in all of history and everything that if you look into his life and everything about him and was written about him, all the true things that were written about him, he never disappoints. He's the only person who. The more you research on him, the more you find out how perfect he was, and that he didn't sin, and that he did nothing wrong. Isn't it crazy how the world will uh, promote Jesus? You know, they get an award or whatever it might be, and you know, and I thank God for this. You know, and and you know, Jesus is the one that gave me. They like to. uh, They know that that name, that person, promotes goodness, and that person was uh, righteous and holy. Um, that's what, and uh, anybody else, anybody else you put that test to, any leader, any great man. You can look at George George Washington is a leader that, you know, the founder of our our nation. And it just when you read stuff about him, it was amazing of uh, the things that happened with him, in the war, and how God protected him and watched over. But then you you read more and more about him, and then you see these flaws. And you see these things that he did wrong. And then you're like disappointed. You're just like, wow, this guy, you know, I thought he had it together. And I thought he was, uh, you know, the one to look up to. But not even close. Again, it's always, it's always got to be Jesus. We got to keep our eyes on Jesus. And then we won't be disappointed. Won't be disappointed with church. We won't be disappointed with what, what God's doing. Because Jesus does not disappoint uh, verse 2, 2 and 3. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, the king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. C- Caesarea, the commander of his army, was based in, and I'm not even going to try these words, <laughs> Herosheth Hagiam, I believe, pastor always says, just say it with confidence and then you can get away with it. <laughs> and that wasn't too, that wasn't too confident though. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. And they cried out to the Lord, cried out to the Lord for help. Now I just told you, trust in, the, trust in God and he's, he's the one he can, that will never fail you. And then we read, the next thing is he sold them. He sold them off into slavery and you think, how does that fit? And, you know, the Bible will, does that so often. We, uh, and that's what people say. Well, the Bible says this, and then it contradicts itself because it says that. And, you know, whatever it might be. But in this case, you have to, again, in, in every case, actually, you have to take the Bible as a whole and look at it completely. Don't just take one little part out of context and, and run with it but but God says to take and man, when you start piecing it all together and you take it as a whole, you start to see what God has to say say about it so he says it says that God sold them um into slavery, and that can be translated also as he gave them over, he gave them over to in into slavery into slavery into bondage, and why why does god uh give them over into bondage? Why does he uh, do this not only to them, but to us at times? It's because God God loves us all the time, and he always wants to bless us. But God is the true father that disciplines those he loves. And listen, it's not that God is just like ready to boot you out and just says, I can't wait to get rid of you because uh, you keep failing and you keep falling. No, God says, I want to be the one that's your main focus, like I said. I want to be the one that you're in love with. And if you have other things that you're chasing after, other things you're putting your trust into, and it's taking place of me, he's like, you want that? I'll let you have it. Remember when the children of Israel were coming out with Moses, and they're complaining about, oh, we had all these great things in Egypt, you know, uh, the leeks and all this great food which they didn't have. They had none of those things. They were slaves in Egypt. They did not have, the Egyptians had those great foods. They got to see them, but they didn't get to partake in them. But they're on the road and they are complaining about it. And finally, they're complaining about so so much. They said, well, we we haven't had meat, you know. Uh, We really need uh, something to eat. You know, all we've had is manna. And God says, you want meat? You really want me? You think I'm not providing for you? I'll give you meat. I'll send you some quail, and so the first uh, what would you call it? The, not Instacart, but what do you call the uh, Grubhub? The first Grubhub that God sent out. You know, does at the, right to their door. You know, they're in the desert, the middle of the desert, and all of a sudden these quail are sent out, and not just a few, but God sends out a bunch of quail. And the whole sky is black. And at first, you know, they're taking their sticks and stuff and hitting them, hitting them down and eating them. And they're like, this is great. This is awesome. I've been dying to have some, some good meat. And they're, they're, they're loving it. But then they keep coming. And they keep coming. And pretty soon they're like, I'm sick of quail. It's, it said, in fact, it says they had so much as coming out their nostrils. God said, you want it? You can take it. It's just like the old thing. You're uh, you're teaching your kid. You catch your kid smoking, and you're teaching. You want to uh, teach your kid not to smoke, so you make them smoke a couple of packs, you know, and they get sick. And they they uh, you give them. You say you want it. You hear. You can you can indulge in it and see what it's like, and it makes them sick. My mom. Uh, I had a fascination for fire for some reason when I was like about ten to twelve, and. Um, went through a period where, you know, I was just lighting things and doing stuff, and somehow my the rug in my room caught on fire. Now, I'm sure it was my sister's fault. I'm sure it wasn't my fault. But different story, long story, but complicated story. I was barefooted. I couldn't put it out real quick, but I hid it for a while and put things over and stuff like that, but my mom, who vacuumed my room, uh, finally saw it. And, and in her wisdom, I don't know if it was from a... Dobson or maybe a friend or something, but they said, oh, well, to get, her, to get him where he doesn't have this fixation on fire, just let him be in a controlled environment and give him some stuff to to burn so that it will get, you know, have so much of it that he'll realize, oh, he'll get tired of it. So my mom set up a, a tray, like a glass tray or something like that with some candles and then a uh, some, a bunch of, a bunch of uh, matches that were wood matches. And she put it in the kitchen and she saw one time, and I didn't know why. She calls me in and she goes, she goes, Craig, you can uh, make a fire out of these things. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, that's cool. So I'm there and I'm lighting the matches and didn't really do that much for me because I've done that before and stuff. So she's, you know, watching me light the candles and does stuff. And then she starts doing stuff. And then I start doing stuff. I start taking the candles, and I built a uh, kind of a house thing out of it and stuff like that. Pretty soon, I had a fire that was over my head, you know, and it was it was blazing, and it broke the it broke the uh, the dish it was in and stuff. And my mom comes running over and it's just like, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" So that one didn't work too well for me, but that's that was the idea. What God's saying? He goes, "If if you want it, and and you think you really." Uh, think you really need this, I'll let you have it. If you think this is going to be greater than me, I'll let you have it in abundance. And he did. He does. He gives it to you in, a, in abundance. He did that with the um, children of Israel also, where they were, uh, again, caught up into idolatry and stuff like that. And what he says to them, he goes, if you really think these gods are better than me, and you, and you want these gods, I'll give them over to you. And that's when Babylon took them into captivity, and then they had to serve those gods in Babylon, and they didn't have God. And then they, of course, again, they're crying out for God, and they're like, I don't want this, when they start to see the child sacrifice and all these horrible things that uh, these false gods, bring, false gods bring. And that's why God disciplines those he loves. He wants to save you from those things that will hurt you. He wants to he loves you that much that he cares and if you're not being disciplined about something you're doing wrong and you can you keep getting away with it and stuff man you start you better start questioning if you're really god's child because that's what he says he goes if you're my child i will discipline you because i care about you but if you're not my child and stuff i'll let you i'll let you go you can just you know you can just be off into the world and so it's actually a positive thing to look at when God disciplines you because when he's disciplining you and he's had to do it over and over again in my life, way, way too much that, I, you know, just um, did way too many things to rebel against God, but he disciplined me. And once he disciplined me and I turned back, it was, it's beautiful. He, he receives you and he takes you in. So it's not so much that he just, that he sold, he sold them, but he gave them over because he loves them. He gave them over to these things that may seem exciting at first. Sin always does. It seems like really, really, really exciting. But it, it, um, then it's something you can't get rid of. And then there's so many repercussions behind it. And God wants, to, wants you to save you from that bondage of sin. And it, how, long, how long were they in this bondage of sin? It says 20, 20 years. 20 years they were in bondage. Did they have to be in bondage for 20 years? They didn't. What did they need to do? Repent, right? Repentance was always at the door. But they they kept just going back to the sins, kept in the sin thinking, oh, this is going to be the answer. You know, this is, or, or it's okay. It's, it's It's not really that bad. And don't we do that in our own lives? I know I do that way too often. It's like I rebel against God and I get caught up in something and I think, oh, it's, it's really not that bad, you know, I'll, I'll repent at some time or, you know, I'll just keep going and then years pass by and I, it just gets deeper and deeper and, and finally, you know, it gets so bad that I, I have to turn around and I, I have to look, look at God and just say, God, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for where I was um, and, and what I did wrong and I, I repent to you. God, God uh, they were cruelly oppressed and God's rod of correction was used by this enemy. There's a uh, fascinating thing about God's rod of correction. I was reading where Babylon took over, um, you know, took Israel into captivity and it, God call, calls Nebuchadnezzar um, his servant. And I was just like, Wow, that's really odd. What do you mean? His, you're calling Nebuchadnezzar his, his your servant? And Nebuchadnezzar was horrible, horrible king, evil oppressor, and he, you know, he just um, did some atrocious things. But God used him as an instrument to discipline His people, those He loved, and that's where he, the, uh, this rod of instrument. Uh, this he was a rod of instrument that God that God used and. When you look at that, God did that multiple times with the he did with the Canites, he did it with, Cainites, he did it with um, other oppressors, and he—what uh, he said when he did this, he said, "If you—I'm you, going to—you—I you, you, want you to do this to, to discipline my people, but not to the point of where it goes beyond what I want to discipline." And guess what those oppressors did? Most of those oppressors actually went beyond. And then that's where God turns around he says, because you oppressed my people beyond what I was telling you to do, now you will take the brunt of all these things. And God flips it around. And um, and that's where Babylon falls and all these other oppressors, which we see over and over again where God um, takes it. Because the ones he loves, he only disciplines to a certain point. So they're cruelly oppressed for 20 years And again, it didn't have to be 20 years. And verse 4 and 5. Now, Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidith what a name that is. (laughs) Mr., or that's his first name, I guess, Lapidith was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. So Deborah, totally different judge than all these other judges that we've, we've been reading about and the ones you're going to read about, actually. Deborah, Deborah was a wife, a mother of Israel. She, she calls herself the mother of Israel, actually. So she was a mother. She's a singer-songwriter. The next chapter that we have, it's Deborah um, Deborah's song, a song that she does. Um, She's also a leader, a judge, and she's a prophetess. None of the other judges were were a prophetess, were a prophet or prophetess. Um, So she's completely different. And Deborah, this uh, female judge, uh, held court under a palm tree. And what she would do... (laughs) as as a judge she would be uh, picked a wisely out in the desert picked a nice spot underneath underneath a palm tree but she would be like the modern day judge judy out there is what she was deborah would be judging the people helping the disputes and uh putting them in in the right way and she would um hold court out there for them this this wife this mother and this prophetess and um the first and foremost thing that it's, it talks about, Deborah, that's listed, is, that, uh, is listed is that she was a prophet. And listen to First Corinthians what it says about. This is First Corinthians fourteen three what it says about a prophet, speaking. And this is uh, speaking of spiritual gifts, but the one who prophesies speaks to the speaks to people for strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. And when Paul writes this in First Corinthians, and he's talking about all these gifts, and he's talking mainly about the gifts of tongues, and he says that even greater is the gift of prophecy, and that gift of prophecy is for, just like I, just like I said, to encourage, to lift up, to, um, to help the people, strengthening, encouraging, and to comfort the people. And that's what she would do out there as she was the, the mother, and um, she would strengthen the people and encourage them. And she embraced her calling and made it a part of her life um, to, to guide the people in a loving, a loving way. And you know, there's, women have such a different way of doing this than, than a guy. And that's what, uh, what's so unique about Deborah because she was used in her skills, her loving skills as a mother, as a woman, to encourage and to strengthen people and to comfort them uh, through the Word of God, but just as only a way a woman can do, because she she had this um, very gentle touch in this very loving way. I was helping out at the women's conference with uh, Laurie was setting it up and stuff, and this was a couple of years back, and there was a group of women and they began to pray over the, the conference and stuff like that. And I was just drawn to go to the, over to, the, uh, to pray with them. And as I went over there and was praying with them, God just gave me, um, he gave me a vision of, I had my eyes closed and praying with them, and of them, of Mary when she's washing Jesus' hair with her feet, you know, with a perfume. And how beautiful that is, and I was I was looking at this and I was seeing these women how much they were in love with God and how much they were just worshiping him through prayer and um, that 's how God does. He just takes or that's that 's what women do they just embrace Jesus and they worship him in a whole different way. I love to see uh, women worshiping and truly all out for God and just loving him, just like Mary did when she was she 's washing washing uh, jesus' feet just beautiful act of worship and you know what women are most attractive when they are worshiping God. My wife is looks the most beautiful when I come down the stairs and she's she 's got her head in the Bible and it 's so encouraging to me, and she has this beauty that uh, is just not of the world, and it 's something that's totally different first peter three four tells us the beauty that this uh, this cause that God wants women to have and that women do have when they worship when they worship God. Let me read that to you, and this is first Peter three and four. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry are fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way of, of the holy women of the past who put their hope in God and used to adorn themselves. So God says, it's not the outward beauty. How freeing is that, women, <laughs> for you? You know, it's not, you, you don't have to dress up and put up all these uh, jewelry on and, and keep, you know, just as you get older, just keep covering up more and more, you know, and hoping, you know, you, you're getting away with the looks of the youth and stuff like that. God says, that's not, that's not the beauty that you should be striving after. He, he's saying that it's the inward beauty. And again, a woman is most beautiful when they adorn themselves with Jesus and not with the, with the clothing. And that's an adornment that doesn't perish. That doesn't go away. Beautiful, beautiful worship, and the lasting beauty that will not fade is what he wants to what, what he wants to do. Deborah had this great beauty, and um, that's what she and that's what God wants to do with each and every woman, if if you let if you let her. And then verses six and seven. She sent for Barak, son of Abinad, from Kadesh in Natalphi, (laughs) we'll go with that, and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go take with you 10,000 men of Natalphi and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabar. And I will lead Caesarea, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to Kishon River and give him into your hands. So Deborah calls Barak over and, and she says, this is what God says for you to do. And she gives a direct command. Actually, God gives him a direct command to uh, do this certain thing, he she, he says. He says to him, "To I, I command you, as it says, to go and take with you ten thousand men." So he says, and he lays out a whole plan, an exact plan of what uh, God lays out a plan for a Beric of what to do and what he should what he should do, and he says, "You need to lead the men." Uh, and I will take care of the enemy. So God is actually, he says, You lead them in, and I'll take care of the enemy. And he was telling Barak that he was ch- choosing to do great things through him. God called him and commanded him to do the things. And all he said is, I want you to do these th- great things for my name. All you have to do is just lead. And listen, for the guys in here you guys just heard what god what does with the women but god calls us as men to lead to lead to lead our families to lead in our church to lead um things in the battle to lead the way that god wants us wants us to lead and god uh, uh told him this and commanded him and You know, when a man looks most handsome, (laughs) you guys just heard about a woman when she looks most handsome, but you know, when a man looks most handsome is when he's leading under and doing what God tells him to do. You know, that, that should be the most attractive thing that uh, um, anybody looks for in in a guy when, when he's truly sold out for God and um, that's when, if he has the confidence in what God's doing and he's embracing that calling and he was meant to lead um, which we all are meant to lead and it's going to be fulfilling when we do give in to the things that God has, us to, has for us so he was called and that's when a man looks, <laughs> looks his best it's uh, again is what God wants and you know the world's perspective that's not a handsome guy <laughs> the world's perspective is the guy who's in the world you know, carousing, whatever it might be, just, you know, living, partying in life, and like, that's the guy you want to put on the pedestal. That's the guy that we should all be striving for. But in God's economy, it's the opposite way. It's that person who's just sold out for for Christ, and then actually sets himself aside uh, for God. And that's, when you look at it through, uh, through God's eyes, that's the person that is actually the most handsome, <laughs> the guy that... Uh, is, again, embracing Jesus and taking Jesus in. And, and um, again, every guy is meant to lead in some capacity. God has just put that in our nature. And he wants us to do it and do it in confidence in whatever he's called us for. Remember, Jesus took the 12 disciples, and they were just a ragtag bunch, and he changed them because they just hanging around Jesus, he changed them and turned, them, turned these confused boys into great men of God. Here's what Paul says to Timothy. He says, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that recalling them, you may fight the battle well. So Paul said to his protege, young Timothy, he says, I'm giving you this command, just fight the battle Follow God and fight the battle well, you know, follow, follow God. And God wants us to fight the battle and to follow, follow him. No better, no better um, fulfillment in life than doing what God has asked you to do and what he wants you to do. God tells us to fight the good fight. He's looking for leaders to fill the gap. You have been called to embrace it. Nothing else will, insatisf- will satisfy as embracing what God has called you for. God, God is an amazing God. And again, he has called the men to lead. And when men do lead, women will look to that and just go, that's, that's what I want to do. Too. That's a man that I want to follow as they follow God, as as Paul said. And men, we should be looking for women and helping, encouraging if we're married, our wives to um, embrace God and to be looking for God and to embrace their calling. And their calling is to worship uh, and to follow God and to encourage the other women to be women of God. When we do these things and we truly embrace what God's called for us, we break that bondage of that cycle And we put the focus off the world, and we put the focus back on God. And that's what God wants to do in our lives. I want to end there. And uh, I just want you to take in what God has to say to you about leading and about what he wants to do in your life. as, as, again, we opened his word and we, we heard what he has to say and how he wants us to embrace his calling, truly, truly embrace what he has for you. Let's go to God in prayer. Mm-hmm. Dear God, I just thank you for your word. It's amazing. It changes lives. It gives us direction. And God, as we looked at a... How great uh, Deborah was, to to embrace your calling, and to just, just as a mother and, a, and a, a prophetess, that she would encourage Israel, and she would encourage the other women and the men. She would just lead them towards your direction. And God, what a, a great testimony of that! A beautiful woman that was just sold out for you. God, I ask for those that are here tonight, and those who are, hear this word, that they truly look to God and truly um, become women of God. Just It's so needed in our society, and it's so fulfilling. The, the world just has nothing to offer, Lord. And then for the other men, Lord, that you want us to be leaders, to step up, to actually fill in the gap, and there's so many gaps that need to be filled, Lord. I just ask that your spirit just guides and directs us and gives us that... Um, that courage to just step up and to fulfill what you have for us, Lord. Uh, Lord, we thank you for these examples that you've given us. I just ask that we take them away, we just we discuss them, and we uh, follow your will in those. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.